So we, we are talking about loving your church, loving how to love your church. And the first uh, message we talked about how to love your church by committing to your church's vision and values and mission. The second message was brought to us with great insight by our brother Dave Trujillo, and he talked about loving your church through serving, not just serving the church, our, our folks, but serving beyond that and serving the world around us. And the message today is on loving your church through giving. Now, I want you to note the offering has already been taken, okay? Loving your church through giving. Anytime you announce a message like that, there is a little thought that goes off in many, many of our brains that says, well, here comes the one where they ask for more from my wallet. By the time we're done with this, you're going to maybe wish it was just your wallet <laughs> that this message <laughs> geared in on. Because my friends, God's asking for far more than your wallet. He is asking for your whole life. He is, he's inviting you, and I think this is important today, and I hope this concept gets through, that he's inviting us to step out, step out of a, the falsehood of a fractured and inauthentic and non-integrated life. He's inviting us to enter into something that's coherent and unified and integrated in our life with him. He wants to rescue us from a, a small and compartmentalized type of, of, of Christianity, of a perspective that would buy into the idea that showing up for church a couple of Sundays a month and putting some dollars in the offering plate somehow constitutes a robust and healthy and purposeful faith. The Holy Spirit wants to open our eyes this morning and enlighten us to the true reality of why, he, why, God, why he, we were created. You were born to be a giver. You were born to be a person of outpouring in every aspect of our lives. David uh, mentioned last week the words of Jesus that Paul quoted in the book of Acts. It is more blessed to do what? To give than to what? Receive. More blessed to give than to receive. Why? Why? Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? And the answer, unfortunately, in many teachings that you hear, that answer stops at this, because he will give to you. Because you will get more if you give to him. If you give to him, he will bless you with an abundance. He will give you more, more possessions. And that way, giving becomes a transaction. 
It becomes a business deal. Giving becomes a means to an end rather than what it's intended to be. And it's tragic. It's tragic. Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Because when you discover the power and the joy of living an integrated life of offering, when that happens, then we begin living in the fullness of what God created us for. And, and rather than living a, a, some kind of a fractured and piecemeal discipleship that limits us and lies to us about who we are and what we're created to do, we live in a world that is always disintegrating. Always. Genesis chapter 3 the Bible tells us about the fall of man and the entrance of sin and death into the world. In a place where there had been no decay, now everything began to rot. Disintegration is all around us infecting our world. We see it in every aspect of our existence. This past week has been a perfect picture of things disintegrating rather than coming to wholeness. Things left to themselves do not remain static. Yeah? Things left to themselves do not remain static. They, they don't get better. Things left to themselves just don't get better. Every part of our lives requires upkeep. Can you say amen to that? Every part of our life requires upkeep. And if we don't practice that upkeep, do things just get better on their own? No. They tend toward disintegration. Neglect your health. Neglect your kids. Neglect your marriage, your friendships. Neglect your work, your bills. Your home, <laughs> nothing good ever comes from that, does it? Nothing does. You know, one of the attributes of God in the scriptures is what is called his immutability. His immutability. What does that mean? It means that he never changes. God never changes. He is always and eternally consistent with his own being. God is never two-faced. He's never hypocritical. He never lies. He's never unauthentic. He's never incoherent. He is a unified, whole being that is always consistent with himself. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology book said, God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes and promises. God is always completely consistent within himself. And here's the thing, that's how he created you to be. That's how mankind was created to be. Not to be fractured, not to disintegrate, not to, not to have a life that is segmented into different pieces, but to live a life very different 
from that, a life of abundant and purposeful and peace-filled living. It's a great tragedy when Christians live fragmented and segmented lives. We can be so internally captive, can't we? We can be so internally captive to conflicting desires, to multiplied insecurities or fears, competing values within our own hearts. Competing values, subtle falsehoods, so much so that there are times we aren't truly sure who we are, who we really are. In the letter to Thessalonians, Paul prays for God's people that he will sanctify them completely in spirit, soul, and body. Sanctify. The word you remember means set apart. It means to take something and make it holy. To take something and make it whole. May the God of grace sanctify you. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 24. This is a picture of reintegration rather than disintegration. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 24. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to every one. Pause. Good to one another, that's within the church, and to every one. Do good to every one. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Look at the everyday, all-encompassing words of that passage. Those are not big, complicated ideas, are they? Pray with it, pray. That's not complicated. Rejoice. That's not complicated. Do good to others. It's not a complicated way of living. But when we do it consistently across all of the areas of our lives, it becomes something powerful and redemptive. And then in verse 23, he says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. All of those things, praying, doing good, abstaining from evil, on and on. He says, I pray that God will reintegrate your life. It'll take all these pieces. You know, the piece that, that shows at work, and then the piece that shows here on Sunday morning, and then the piece that shows 
up in your family around the dinner table, and then the peace that shows up when you're out with some friends, the different ways in which we adjust and evaluate and change and move in order to adapt to whatever situation we might be in. Paul says, I'm praying for a reintegration of your life in such a way that you are always rejoicing in every circumstance, that you are always praying when you have opportunity, that you're always looking to do good to someone whenever the Holy Spirit might impress upon you to do so in that moment. I want you to live a coherent life, a whole life. One of my favorite quotes of all time, probably would make a top 10 list, comes from C.H. McIntosh. Um, C.H. McIntosh is not somebody you're going to pick up at the Lifeway bookstore or something like that. Uh, If you want to go back and read some C.H. McIntosh, you get his notes on the Pentateuch, it'll do you good. He just spends the whole time working working through the first five books of the Old Testament and talks about nothing but Jesus the whole way through. The whole way through, it's really good. But listen, listen to this. This is one of my favorite quotes. It might be in your bulletin today. Christianity is the life of Christ communicated to the believer, dwelling in him and flowing out from him in the 10,000 little details which go to make up our daily practical life. It has nothing ascetic, monastic, or sanctimonious about it. It is genial, cordial, lightsome, pure, elevated, holy, heavenly, divine. Such is the Christianity of the New Testament. It is Christ dwelling in the believer and reproduced by the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's daily practical career. I love his use of the word right there. In his daily practical career, the 10,000 little details that go into making up our day-to-day lives, Christianity is about the Spirit of God reintegrating us and sanctifying us and making us whole in such a way that all of those details are infused in some way with the life-giving power of God, with a pouring out from our, from our lives. I love that. How do we move away from living a fragmented life to one of wholeness and spirit and soul and body? You were born to be a giver. Everybody say, I was born to be a giver. Please say it again. And you may think this is silly, but I want this in your head. Say it one more time. I was born to be, you were. You were born to be an outpouring person. Harold Best uses that word, wonderful uh, teacher from Wheaton, the outpouring. We live a lot, we live lives of outpouring. We are always, every one of us, Christian, non-Christian, we're always outpouring our lives to something, someone. 
some idea. We're always outpouring. God wants us to live lives of outpouring to Him. Now, the passage we read in Peter today is a passage that we're familiar with from our studies. And you've heard me say this numerous times. In fact, one of our values or one of our strategies in, our, in who we are as a church is that we practice lives of sacrifice. We practice lives of sacrifice, lives of giving, lives of offering. Why do we do that? Well, Peter tells us, number one, you are part of a royal priesthood. Not an old covenant priesthood, a new covenant priesthood. Not a priesthood that had to rely on the, the offering of bulls and goats, etc., and just keep making offerings year after year, year after year for sins that would be looked over but never cleansed, never a, a relationship of the heart with God, just, just something to, to stave off the wrath of God against the sinfulness of men. And the priest, their sacrifice stood between the people and God, and their job was to offer, offer, offer. But we don't serve in that priesthood. We serve in a new covenant priesthood. We are not just a priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. Why? Because we've been adopted by King Jesus. We are his sons and daughters. We, we have a regal priesthood, if you will. And what's the function of a priest? We've already just mentioned it. What's the, what's the main function of a priest? To make what? Offerings. To make offerings. That is the main function of a priest, to make offerings. And so, as the New Testament, as a new covenant priest, we are not absent that responsibility. You look in Hebrews, read Hebrews sometimes, just all these wonderful passages about Jesus, our high priest, the one who offered himself once for all. The one who, like the high priest, must have something to offer. What it says of Jesus, he must have something to offer. Why? Because he was a priest. He was our priest, and he had to have something to offer. Priests never show up empty-handed, ever. A priest never shows up on Sunday morning empty-handed. A priest never shows up at the dinner table empty-handed. A priest never shows up at school or at work or in his neighborhood or at a sporting event or at a concert or at a movie or at a party or at a uh, whatever it is, a small group. A priest does not show up empty-handed. A priest always has something to offer. You always have something to offer. Are you with me so far? All right, good. So that's the function of the priest is to make offerings. So listen, we make offerings. We are born to be what? Oh, come on. Gotta help me, people. I don't want to drift into that stick thing, hey? We are born to be what? Givers, that's right. And so we live lives in which we make offerings, spiritual sacrifices, Peter calls it. Spiritual sacrifice. That doesn't mean that they don't have tangibility to them. 
But it means that there is something born of the Spirit, not of works. Not of a legalism. Not of a morality choice. But because of the life of God in us, working through us, the things that we offer flow from the life-giving Spirit that dwells within us. And so day by day, we make those sacrifices and they move us. Listen, when we develop this consistency, it moves us away from disintegration and toward reintegration. The sanctification of our body, mind, and spirit. We become people through whom the Holy Spirit operates in life-giving ways, regardless of where we are in our day or who we are in front of. So let's remind ourselves this morning of the sacrifices that we offer. There's several sacrifices that are mentioned within the New Testament for believers. The first one, most obvious one, is, comes out of Romans 12.1. It's the sacrifice of our bodies. Romans 12.1 and 2 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, your reasonable service. That means, I think, that everything that you do with your body is to be done as an act of worship to God. Everything. Everything you do with your bodies. Paul even says, whatever you do, in word or deed, whether you eat or drink, how mundane is that? <clears throat> do it all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. It's all done to the glory of God. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that everything you're doing requires you at all times to be consistently kind of going, I offer this to you, Lord. I offer this to you, Lord. I offer this to you, Lord. I don't think you have to stand at your kitchen sink and go, I offer these, clean these dishes to you, Lord. And I don't think you have to go, go to work and go into a meeting with your boss and say, excuse me, just before we start, Lord, I offer this meeting to you and I want to bless you. And I don't think you have to live some kind of, you know, play acting type of thing. This, that's not what this is about. This is about an internal set. It's an internal um, way of, of thinking about life. That within yourself, you are aware that the Spirit lives in you and wants to be invited into all parts of your life. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. <clears throat> and wherever you go in your body and whatever you do, in your body, whether you eat or drink and hammer nails or drive a car or make a meal or program a computer or read a book or shoot a basketball, mend a shirt, whatever you do with your body, we do it all to the glory of God. Second, our praise. Hebrews 13, 15. Let us offer up the sacrifice of praise continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. <clears throat> our good works. Hebrews 13, 16, and let us not neglect to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Our generosity 
Philippians 4, and let's read this one. Philippians 4, 14 through 19. Because yes, generosity is part of it. What we do with our wallets is part of it. The offering of our lives, our whole lives to him, day by day. Lord, I'm inviting you in. Here's the perspective. I'm inviting you in to my work today, Lord. I'm inviting you in. I am aware that you've made me to be a giver, and I want to be outpouring your love and your goodness to those around me. I want them to sense it. I want them to know it. I want them to, to know that in some way they've been visited by an ambassador of Christ. And so I offer you my life. I invite you into this. I invite you into my family. Drive into the kids' little league game. Lord, I just, I just want to invite you in to this day. And whatever we're doing, whoever we meet at the ballpark, whoever we meet at the pool, whoever we meet or run into at the <clears throat> shopping mall or the coffee shop, God, I just, I just want to invite you into my day. It's a perspective of saying, today, Lord, there will be things for me to partner with you in, and I don't want to ignore it and live some other way. I want to live a coherent life. I want you to be pouring yourself through me in all that I do. And so generosity is part of that. Look at Paul's words here in Philippians 4, 14 through 19. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I mean, from day one, the church has struggled. From day one, Apostles and prophets and pastors and church planners and those that are called to ministry and called to help churches, from day one they were struggling to find partners. Struggling to find people who would be willing to be generous and to give. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, comma, watch it, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What's the emphasis there? The emphasis is not on our getting, although we are promised that God will supply all of our needs. He will do that. I can trust God to supply all my needs. I don't need, like some ministers, unfortunately, in our country, to live in a $1.8 or $2 million mansion somewhere and buy you know, Rolls Royces for his wife and that kind of thing on the church funds. I, 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 that's, that is sinful in my, in my thinking. 
But I do trust and I know that God will supply my needs. And he's always been faithful to do that. My wife and I have tried to always be faithful in our giving. And we have never seen God proved wrong in our, the supply that we need. He has always been faithful to supply us with what we need, sometimes more, sometimes less, sometimes seasons of faith, right? But he's never, he's never been dishonest with me. He's always been faithful. And that's a promise that we have. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or where you're going to live. Don't worry about the clothes that you need. Your Father knows what you need. Give us this day our daily bread. The Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. It's not that God will not supply. He does. And I believe there is blessing released as we give because it increases our faith and our trust in God. It's one of the reasons, you've heard me say this before, I just one minute and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll get off that. Why do we talk about tithing? Because tithing is a command in the New Testament. Is anywhere in the New Testament where it says you give 10% of your gross income to your church? Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. In fact, there's latitude in there. Because it's not about that number. It's about your heart. And when we talk about our hearts and giving, giving is meant to be a way that we express our trust and our faith in God's goodness. And when we get to that 10% mark, as a marker, we're kind of getting into that area where we're going to have to trust a little bit. You invite God into your giving, and sometimes you'll find that he'll ask you to do more because he wants you to increase your trust even more. He wants to build your faith even more. He wants to demonstrate that he's faithful as you steward the resources that he gives to you. But that's why we talk about <clears throat> that, that marker. Because it's about 10%, you start to feel it, right? I think about what I could do with those dollars, I feel it. But you know what? I want to be an outpouring person. And I want Jesus to be Lord of everything, including my resources, including my dollars. I want him to be. Lord of all of it. And I want it. Look at this. He says, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, more than having my needs met. Here's the thing, folks. When you, when you put your offering, your uh, material offering in the offering baskets today, you know what happened in heaven? God got a grin on his face. God, God got this, had a smile on his face. It's a sacrifice pleasing, pleasing. When something happens to you that's pleasing, do you frown or do you smile? When something happens that's pleasing to you, do you express joy over that or do you express dismay and 
and, and, and condemnation over that. No, you express joy over it. And when we offer sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God, how? Through Jesus Christ. That's what Peter says, right? We offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's His blood. It's His redemptive glory that invites us before God. And it makes the things that we bring to Him acceptable. Yesterday... I was in Richmond with my grands and little Beckett, little five-year-old Beckett comes down with two things from his room. He's always doing this when we're there. He comes down with two things from his room. Sometimes it's cars. Sometimes it's some of his matchbox or Hot Wheels cars. And he'll come down and he'll go up to my wife and say, here, Jeezy, this one's for you. You can take that home with you. You know, he'll give one to me. This one's for you, Papa. Yesterday, he brought us some artwork. It wasn't very good artwork. <laughs> it wasn't. There was nothing, nothing inspiring and, and uh, deep about it. It's just a bunch of stuff thrown on paper. You know, a lot of pieces of this and that glued on a piece of, on a piece of paper. And, and he brought that. And here, here Papa. This is for you. Take home. Did I look at him and go, what is this? What is, what is this garbage? What, is, what, 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 what you call this art? You, did I do that? No. I smiled. I said, oh, Beckett, thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate you thinking of me. I so appreciate you let me take this home, stick on my refrigerator and stare at it for a while. So appreciate that. I was pleased. What made it pleasing? If one of your kids had walked up and given that to me, <laughs> laugh, I, I would have been pleased, not as pleased, but I would have been pleased and I would have smiled. If some kid on the street I didn't know walked up to me and gave it to me, I'd, I'd be polite, kind. It might not make it home with me, right? The, farther, the, the, the more distant the relational aspect, the less those things are meaningful, aren't they? You have an intimate relationship bought for you by Jesus Christ with God, your Father. So when you came this morning and when you sang and praised, he was pleased. When you prayed, he was pleased. When you offer yourself to him, he is pleased. When you invite him into your work and seek to glorify him and be his person at every point, Lord, help me today. I want to be your person, wholly your person everywhere. I don't want to be two-faced. I don't want to be hypocritical. I don't, want to be, I don't want to put on one persona here and another persona here. I want to be the genuine article. I offer my life to you. I invite you in. Oh, you just, man, his, you cannot contain the smile of God. He is pleased when we offer ourselves to him. When we offer our bodies, offer our praise, offer our good works, offer our generosity, offer our intercession, our prayers. Do, um, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, 
There you go. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Prayers are something that is offered up to God. It is offered up to God. And He's delighted when we pray. Our intercession and then our evangelism. Let me read you this one scripture and then we have to close here. Our evangelism, our reaching out, our taking opportunity to speak the gospel. Romans 15, 15 through 16. And the more boldly I did write to you, brethren, in part, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me by God for my being a servant of Jesus Christ to the nations, acting as what? Priest. Acting as priest in the good news of God that the offering up of the nations may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul viewed every person coming to Christ as something that was an offering to God. An offering to God for His glory, His honor, His praise. When we begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help us invite Him into every part of our lives. We offer our bodies to Him. We offer our praise day by day to Him. We offer our good works. We're always attentive. We're always, we always have that prayer in the back of our minds or on our lips, Lord, show me the thing you want me to do today. Show me the thing you have for me today. Show it to me. Our good works, our generosity, our prayers and intercessions and our reaching out to others. When we begin to practice those things, when the Spirit begins to pour life through us, it is a remarkable change of life as we begin to reintegrate in spirit, soul, and body we begin to be and to know who we are in every place. So what's our response today? David, I think there's a thing at the bottom there. What's our response? In one of Paul's letters, he talks about how Jesus offered up himself on our behalf that we might receive. We offer our lives to God on behalf of this world that we might be life-giving ambassadors to everyone, from those that we love to those that we barely know. We want to be Christ in every place. Amen.